Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. From NBI Studios. This is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Roth. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Truth and Justice. I've got a very special episode for you today. Today is going to be the Truth and Justice Roundtable. I am joined by five listeners that range from leaning towards Jennifer being innocent to leaning towards her being guilty to a few fence sitters. And we're just going to have an open discussion uh, to try to share some thoughts and bounce some ideas off each other and, and just have an open dialogue here. Thought this would be interesting. I mentioned, uh, if you were on social media on the fan page, that I had an interview fall through on me this week. Uh, and we had some scheduling issues. And so Mike and I talked about it. And we thought how cool it would be to hear from some of you listeners. Uh, so the first time we're trying this, I'm joined today by these five lovely folks. Lynn Downing. Kay Boyd. Pamela Westby. Wes Messer. Cindy Moore. All right, so we've got a, a full house at our round table, and right after a quick break, we'll go ahead and get started. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications, and that's why yesterday I knew that he did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Say goodbye to the dish and hello to Skystream, the new way to get Sky over Wi-Fi. So you can get unmissable Sky shows like The Last of Us and Succession, as well as Netflix and Discovery Plus, and loads more, all in one subscription for £26 a month. Oh, and next day delivery with no upfront fee. Skystream, TV simplified. Head to sky.com. Requires SkyStream and broadband minimum speed, 10 megabits per second, 18-month minimum term. Cut-off times apply for next day delivery. Excludes bank holiday. 18 plus terms apply. Okay, so here we go. Not sure how this is going to work, but my thoughts were to have each one of you one at a time go through. Just kind of introduce yourself, who you are, whatever you want to share, if you want to share where you're from or anything like that, how long you've been listening, and then give us kind of uh, your, your basic position right now on the case. And I guess we'll go in the same order that we did on um, – you don't have to get into detail. I saw Lynn look very upset by it. <laughs> very nervous. Just, just about where you're kind of leaning right now. And Lynn, we'll go ahead and start with you. So if you could introduce yourself to the audience. Oh, hi, I'm Lynn. I'm a retired registered nurse uh, with critical care, extensive critical care and trauma experience. And as far as – on the case, I think I'm still on the fence. Not that I think that she was a participant 
in the actual murder, but I think she actually has knowledge and was participating. Okay, great. Uh, let me pick your brain real quick on something before we move on. So you're, with your experience in the medical field, what were your thoughts on my thoughts as far as the timing of the procedure for the pronunciation of death on the scene in last week's episode? That I, I don't know what state you're in, but I know in Michigan here, as I said. I'm in Ohio. Okay. I think that they got there. If the nurse had already started CPR, they decided to just that it was already futile when they observed what she was doing, maybe, and had to phone it in and get a pronunciate, get a doctor to say you can pronounce the patient. Okay. But I don't know that 915, I think 915 was when they made the call. So they had to pronounce it a time and gave it the time that they got there rather than the time they think she really was, you know, had expired. Oh, you think so? See, we would always, when we would, because um, I worked in the field on a, on a first response uh, rig at the fire department, and we would, when we make that call, that was if they said, okay, and it's good to know that same in Ohio with us, that that call has to be made to medical control. And when they'd give us permission that, okay, you can stop. And then it was always look at your watch and write, we'd always write it on our gloves. So because later we transferred, we'd write down that time. And that's the time we document this time of death. So you're thinking that they went, they wrote the time they arrived. If they didn't start CPR or start anything. And it sounds like they didn't, I can't tell yeah. from what I read. Well, and, and I actually just talked to Jennifer's attorney today, uh, and I was asking him, to, if, like, does he have the EMS report? And he said, no, same thing. He's been looking for it, and it's nowhere. Uh, but we know one was generated. They just, because there, there's references to it throughout the trial, people saying something about the EMS report, but it's, but it's never provided. But yeah, because all, all we get is the only one that was witnessing this was Daniel Truesdale, because none of the first responders testified at trial. Uh, where he says that they they opened up her shirt. That's when they saw the wounds, and they realized, oh, she's been stabbed. And then I'm assuming it was shortly after that when they made the call to the medical control. I have a question. Yeah, Kay. If EMS arrived where someone was killed, say, four hours earlier, they would still attempt CPR. They would check for a pulse, check to see if the person was still alive. That's where like, I was agreeing with what Lynn was saying, where it's just the time that they're making the official call, not necessarily when she actually died. Right. She could have been dead for two hours. Yeah, 100% sure. You're absolutely right that that time uh, to, to, to the scenario you just, you just presented, Kay, with that we would show up sometimes and a body had been deceased for hours. I've, I've shown up after days sometimes. And, and we wouldn't necessarily always do CPR. Like we had protocols where it was like, you know, if they're stiff and cold and there's obvious no signs of life, then we would typically make that call right away. Like, hey, she's she's in full rigor. We don't need to do it. So they, we wouldn't necessarily start CPR. But yeah, but then when they would give us the okay, that's the official time of death. So it doesn't, you know, we're not, it's up to the, uh, to the ME that does the autopsy to use scientific methods and witnesses and everything to try to determine when the actual time of death, but the EMS report will pronounce at that moment. And that's what was interesting about this um, autopsy report is she notes EMS pronounced death at 9.15 a.m. And I was thinking it was because EMS, that's when, when she, they may have called at 9.30, but said she and, she, and the doctor that they spoke to, I don't know that it has to be a medical examiner, but because they would do it with emergency room physicians too. 
we have here, we have medical control who is, there's like an on-call doctor. Yeah, somebody they call. But the doctor that they spoke to on the phone said, probably said, well, what time did you get there? And they said, we, well, we got here at 9.15. And she said, we'll go with that time. Or he went said, go with that time. Yeah, I suppose that's possible. In my experience, that's not what's happened, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's not what happened here. And of course, we just don't have the report. Because my experience has been both emergency room and ICU. So, yeah, I mean, anybody that it's been a long time since I worked ER itself, but yeah, they, I think that she just asked them because I've had doctors just ask me, what time did you start, you know, CPR? They get there and then they'll either pronounce the time if they're there, if the patient, they decide the patient's already is, is no longer viable. Right. Yeah. It's tricky. It's a little different in the in the hospital because oftentimes it's a witness death or close to witness death because they're you know they're they're being treated it always was like the it just just anecdotally was we always had this thing with the ER nurses and the us out on the the EMS rigs you know because we we'd come in and they'd be like well why didn't you start an IV like because they were upside down in a car and <laughs> we thought yeah. you could do it here in this nice bed when we get here um but we'll move around we'll come back to this but uh Kay, uh yes a question could you go ahead and introduce yourself Yep. I'm Kay. I am from Cleveland, Ohio. I work in education. Uh, I don't know what else to say. <laughs> I'm not drinking tonight. I'm the only one. So I'll tell you listeners this a little behind the scenes. Oh, what do you have, Pamela? <laughs> uh, a whiskey sour. Oh, I'm also drinking. I'm going with the uh, uh, Angel's Envy uh, bourbon on the rocks. You're the only one that followed directions. The other four of them, I told them all to bring their favorite adult beverage. Uh, to the show when we got I, Wes has a Mountain Dew. Was it Kay? Did you have a an iced tea? Yeah, an iced tea, and we have some lemonade. Cindy, I didn't see you with anything because I have to be in school in the morning. I can't sit up and drink with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know if it was going to be like Bob and Weave, so I was used to <laughs> YouTube videos. Yep. Uh, real quick, Kate, before we before we move on, um, uh, where where do you feel your your feelers on the case now? Oh, I'm I'm on the fence, so I find myself leaning one way or the other through the episodes. Like literally, I could listen to an episode and say, "There's no way," mm-hmm. and midway through, I'm like, "Wait a second, there is." Right. I can make an argument either way on this. That's perfect. Good. Thanks. And Cindy, uh, on my screen, you're right below Kay. Uh, you want to introduce yourself? I'm Cindy Moore from Pearland, Texas. Um, I actually don't live very far from the murder scene, probably about 15, 20 minutes away. Self-employed, small business owner. And I am leaning towards guilt because, um, I don't know, various reasons. But I was kind of on the fence, but I'm leaning more towards guilt just because it's just too much, too much lying, too much. He said, she said, somebody knows something and I'm, I don't think she murdered her, but I think she knows she did, and I think she knows what happened. Awesome. We're definitely going to circle back to you because I want you kind of to break some of that down for us in a little bit. Pamela, uh, if you want to introduce yourself, Pamela is one of our amazing transcribers who listens to me repeatedly and types out all of my words to send it out to the inmates. Uh, Can you introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm Pamela. I live in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I've had various jobs. I was in marketing. Last recently was a cook, and now I'm just kind of doing some gig work to get through the pandemic. I kind of flip-flop, I think, like a lot of people do on the case right now, where um, the timing is just so short, 
and we don't it's hard because we don't have jennifer's full narrative either Mm -hmm. and so every time i think i've figured something out you know we get a little bit more information and just trying to reconcile all of the uh, statements and everything it's it's difficult (laughs) to say the least it definitely is and um wes the gentleman has has volunteered by that i mean i volunteered him to go last uh (laughs) wes you want to introduce yourself uh, Wes Messer, um, parts unknown, and then a uh, self-employed carpenter handyman. And I am on the fence on this one. Uh, I lean heavily towards at least reasonable doubt. I'm not really for sure. I mean, I guess I see how she was convicted because of the transcripts or whatever. But when we see the evidence, I just, there's too many holes in it. And so she probably knows something. I can agree to that. But I don't think she should be sitting in prison right now. I think that's a that's a something that I think we we probably we can address and maybe we could all agree on. I guess raise your hand if you think Jennifer actually killed Catalina, like she was the one with the knife that killed her. Anybody? No. Nobody's nobody's raising their hand there. Okay, so with that, my feeling is, if Jennifer was involved in the way that the state proposes she was, which was a lookout, she was there assisting in the robbery when the murder happened. I don't feel that a 15-year-old girl, or 50, I don't know why I said girl, a 15-year-old person should be locked away for life for that. At 15 years old, her first possibility of parole, I think, comes up in 2036. So it's, you know, I think, was it 40 years she has to serve before she, she doesn't have a possibility of parole? So what are you guys' thoughts on that? So let's just say, if she's guilty, what do you guys think about the sentence? Yeah, I agree with the, what you're saying. And I've made several comments on your, your thread and everything. Um, that I don't think she murdered her, so she shouldn't be serving time as a murderer. But she should have served time as a lookout or a co-conspirator or some, some way involved. Not nearly as, as long a sentence is what she got, but I think she was involved in some way, so therefore she should have, you know, served some time. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. And I think that for me, and I wonder if you feel the same, Cindy, that the age matters to me. Like this, this, Because what you just said, so if... A group of 40-year-olds get together and decide, hey, let's go rob this girl or let's go rob this woman. And, uh, and one of them ends up killing her, then the, you know, the law of parties or however the state defines it, 
um, that says they're guilty of that crime. I think that's very different than, you know, in the scenario, the state's theory that these two adult men get this 15-year-old juvenile girl to go be a lookout for them, and then this happens. I think that that, I think, the, I, I don't think that we can make those the same thing, if that makes sense. Those, 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 in my view, those are very different, and that's why there are different laws for juvenile sentencing. True, but again, um, I've said a couple of times, 15-year-olds have known been known to commit worse crimes <laughs> than just being a lookout, you know? Oh, for sure. So even though they are young and naive and dumb, they're still participating in something that's wrong and should, you know, they should serve some time, you know? Oh, yeah. I don't, I don't disagree with that at all. Do we know, because we know that they could have charged her as a juvenile, but they chose to forego that and try her as an adult. Right. So do we know why or how that came about or? Only through. To appease the public. Yeah, well, really, from what I've heard, just through word of mouth, as the attorneys have spread this tale right over the last last twenty five years, is the thought is they truly believed that there was that she knew who did this, and she gives him these two bogus names, right? And so, what the attorneys that have worked on the case through the years have kind of passed along is that they charge her as adult as an adult and threaten her with with and, and we're going to try her with capital murder mostly because they wanted to put her in a position where she would flip and give up who did it. I, I don't think the intention was ever to actually try her for this crime and send her away for life. I think they thought as soon as they put the capital life sentence in front of her that she's going to say, okay, this is who did it. But but she never did. She says even in the interview with her um, a couple episodes ago, moving from a small town into Houston and everything's totally different. And she got caught up in the whole lifestyle, you know, that was going on in that complex that she was trying to fit in. She was just trying to go along with what they were doing. And so that makes it very plausible that these two guys come up and said, Hey, stand here and let us know if anybody comes and they go in, something gets out of hand, they end up killing her and she's wrapped up in the middle of it. You know, it was just a dumb mistake on her part, but, she participated. She was trying to fit in with those kind of people um, that commit those kinds of crimes. And, you know, things just went south from there. And I think it's very possible that she knew what was going on. I, and I don't think maybe she didn't know they were going to murder her, but she knew maybe that's why she jumped the fence to go look to see what happened after they entered the apartment to see what was going on in there. You know, I mean, there's been so many lies that who knows? It's so hard to tell, but I think she knows something. Well, why wouldn't she say, why wouldn't she, that's why I think a lot of us struggle too, is why wouldn't she, if, especially if she didn't really know them, why wouldn't she give them up? Or if it was people she did know even, why today she's still not saying anything about Well, it. but maybe that whole snitch, you know, you don't snitch on people kind of attitude or thought process of a 15 year old. You don't tell, you don't rat people out, you know, especially in that era you know that was becoming a thing you don't rat people out and maybe that's what she thought she was just um she wasn't supposed to tell on people and why she's not talking now my theory is maybe her lawyers told her to shut the hell up they don't have anything on you if we're going to try any appeals or anything like that you got to shut up and you can't talk to anybody about anything i'm certain her lawyers are not telling her that now because at this point the only chance she has of getting out because of the confession is for them to find out who actually did it 
There's just there's no way she's not, she's not going to get out on. Uh, so like we've mentioned this a little bit in the show, but so a Brady violation, ineffective assistance of counsel, uh, anything like that, all of those have to be you know proven to be you know, material that they would have likely changed the outcome of the trial. And the state will always come back to the jury has her confession, so this this isn't going to matter. So literally, the only way she's going to get out is through a writ of actual innocence. They're going to have to prove who actually did it. And I'll, I'll, I'll share this a little bit. I don't think it mind me sharing this, but when I, I, when I was talking to Justin today, you know, of course, I'm like, you know, when can we get to the interview? And he's still working on his investigation. But, you know, he said he's like, she's, she's useless as far as help. I mean, putting those words, he says she doesn't know anything. His opinion is that she, did, from, from all his interviews with her, is that she doesn't know anything. She doesn't know what happened is what he believes. Now, obviously, that could be a lie. It could be wrong. But I agree with you, Pamela, that that's, for me, you know, the, the whole, you know, you don't snitch, you don't rat people out. That's a, that is, in my experience, first of all, that's, that's, a, that's a thing of movies. It's a thing to an extent, but I've looked at case after case after case after case after case where these guys that live by the code of the streets line up in jail to snitch on somebody to, to get out. It happens every day. It doesn't really exist in very, very rare occasions. And if it does, it's usually in an actual like gang situation where there's an organization behind it. Yeah, but in her 15-year-old brain, she might have thought that that was an actual thing. You know, it's possible. Is there any type of gang presence in the area or at the time? I think there was. Uh, yeah, there probably was. Like I said, I that could be intimidating for a country girl. Yeah, yeah. and then reinforced yeah. in prison the 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 stereotype of snitching. So that's all she's known since fifteen for almost you know twenty five years. Yeah. Is that she's never known different? You know, for us to well, kind of know. I think you know, we need to remember too that. Maybe she gave the names that she believed were the true names when she and her confession. Right. I have a lot of, and this is not all evidence-based, but for me, there's a lot of, there's just a lot of like common sense things that come into me. Like, you know, I think, you know, like that, why would she, you know, I'm not, not, not disregarding the argument of, well, maybe she wouldn't snitch because they're not supposed to snitch code of the streets and all that. But I feel like I'm pretty sure for me anyway, and this is just hundred percent my opinion is. When it's like, listen, you're going to go to prison for the rest of your life unless you tell them who did this. And her mom is in there telling them that her that. Her lawyer's telling her that. She didn't meet with her lawyer until the day of her trial. Right. Well, yeah. True. Well, she met with him prior to that. When did he tell her? My understanding is she originally, like right at the beginning, they met when he was assigned to her. And when he met with her, his assumption was they were going to make a plea deal. Oh, I'm sure it was. That's what he does all day long. Right. And then when she wasn't going to make a plea deal, they were going to prepare for trial. And then that's when he just disappeared. They didn't hear from him at all. Jennifer's mom reached out and they just, they didn't communicate at all through trial. And I'm just reading testimony after testimony. I just read another testimony today where once again, after direct, right before cross, he says, hey, can I get a copy of their statement? You know, so it gives you an idea of how much he was prepared for it. But the point being, even like all her, her mother, at least her attorney, I think, urged her at the beginning to take a plea deal that I, it, it's hard for me to, to believe that. That it, that when they're telling her, you're, listen, you have a confession, you're going to prison for the rest of your life unless you say who did this. And she's like, nope, I'm keeping my mouth shut. I just I, I just have a real hard time with that. 
The only way I could see her potentially not divulging anything is fear of her family's safety or something, you know, because they, they're still out there, obviously. Right. Well, if, if the, is KD or youngster, youngster was her boyfriend. Yeah. I can't recall, but yes. if they're if those doing it, she could have still been in love and thought that she was protecting him and that, you know, keeping her mouth shut was, was going to pay off. And really all it did was bury her. And, uh, I mean, 15 year olds are stupid. You know, they don't think things through. And if that was like, she's moved into this new world and she's in love with the guy or thinks she is, even though they're just a bunch of teenagers, you, you know, I mean, teenagers have done dumber things. And I just, I feel like, that maybe she was already headed down that road because my instincts on her mother going straight to the police department to report her as a runaway, rather than going up where she was at talking to the cops at the time of the murder and telling, you know, where in the hell have you been? I've been looking for you. How, you know, you're a runaway, blah, blah, blah. But it, to me, it seemed like she was trying to distance herself from Jennifer because she knew Jennifer had been getting in trouble and she didn't want no responsibility for that. So that kind of, I saw more as maybe she just wasn't very strong minded or strong willed potentially, you know, and needed needed some help with, you know, to reel her in. I think it's tough to make any assumptions there because I, I have, you know, I've got some personal experience, not with me and my kids, but very people very close to me that have dealt with the same thing and literally have done the same thing because, you know, when you have a teenager that's rebelling and saying, I'm leaving, I'm running away. And you know that if you go confront them and, and, and tell them, like, you need to come home, well, they already, they're not, they have already proven they're not going to listen to you and they're not going to come home. So I, I, I know people that I'm related to that have done the exact same thing and went to the police and said, he's there. They're letting him stay at, at their house, bring him home. But were the police questioning him for a crime at the moment that, you know, <laughs> that she decides to go report her as a Not just a crime, a murder. <laughs> right, but but you got to remember too, Jackie at the time didn't know that it was a murder. She was told by her sister that there was like activity, there were police there and Jennifer was standing there talking to the police. So she you know, and she went there. She didn't know that that was a murder investigation. Yeah. I mean, that was one of the first things that kind of red flags for me, I guess I would call it, is that I felt like maybe, you know, if you want to believe that she was some backwoods naive redneck country girl that didn't know anything and then was thrown into the city which is very possible that she had because of the area they were living in the complex they were living in was probably you know riddled with trouble and she was up all in the middle of it and maybe her mom was just like you know wanting to distance herself from the trouble that she was getting into because at that time in the in that year parents were probably still responsible for what their children were doing you know it wouldn't be that she got in trouble it'd be that the mom got in trouble for not watching her or not reeling her in, you know? So I don't know. It was just a red flag for me that she didn't go over there. Okay. Yeah. I mean that the mom didn't go over there and say, what the hell's going on? You know, that's what I would have done. And uh, it just seems like that's what she should have done. I I think that all depends on just like who you are as a parent, you know, like if this was me, my mom would have went straight to the police. She would have done the exact same thing. Really? As a parent. I'm where my kid is. I'm beating down the door. I'm yeah. dragging her out. But, you know, obviously two different generations, two different types of, of parenting yeah. styles. 
and I think that that makes it makes the point that I was trying to make with this is we we don't get anywhere saying well that's not what I would have done because you know we are you know y'all people can't see us we are we are uh, six white people you know scattered out through I know some of most of us through the Midwest a couple from the South uh, West looks very young um, I'm not sure if his if his mom's letting him be on the Zoom I don't know how old he is uh, <laughs> but. You know what I mean? Like our experiences, we can't, we can't look at our experience like, well, I know I'm a parent and this is what I do. Like, you know, have we ever been a black parent in Texas that was a single mom who just lost two of her sons and moved there and is working nights? We can't make judgments on how she reacted to that situation. I want to clarify something. I'm not, I'm not the, the white Midwesterner. I'm biracial and I have lived in this experience. Oh, so you are, but. The lighting is very bad, Kay, on you. <laughs> it's, it's, it's okay. I am, I am light-skinned. I accept it. But, I mean, I guess that's why I'm sitting here and I'm kind of listening and uh-huh. I'm taking myself back to the time. I mean, I'm 47 years old now, so I'm in the same, you know, age range mm-hmm. as Jennifer at that time. You know, the whole snitch thing. I mean, that here in Cleveland, that was real. Uh-huh. Now, I'll tell you what, unless it was a family member, someone who was incredibly close to me, I'm snitching. I'm not going to prison for for anybody. I'll go to prison for my family. I'll go to prison for my best friend, but I'm not going for some random guys that I met when I ran away from home that I didn't have a pre-late relationship with. So I guess, you know, that's the way I look at it. I don't, I'm telling you, I go back and forth on that because of it. Like part of me, really feels like, yeah, she knew something. She inserted herself into this. If she's innocent, she put herself dead in the middle of this for what? What do you mean by what do you mean by that when you say that you put her she put herself in the middle of it? I mean, like in her one statement, she said that she checked her pulse, right? So I mean, I question whether or not she was ever like in the apartment whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So obviously if she was, then she's involved. But if she's giving a statement and she's running with this crowd, I mean, the I don't know nothing is the response to any police question. If you're involved, I don't know anything. But she didn't do that. She gave, you know, multiple variations of her statement that put her involved in this. Why? Why does she do that? And and that that that's a question. That's 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 what I want to ask. Like, what are what are your thoughts? Because I think like what you just said, I agree with. If you're involved in this. The answer to every question is, I don't know anything. That, I mean, that, that's that, that's the way that I just, so when she's like, yeah, like telling these stories about going inside and checking a pulse and doing this, putting herself there, uh, I have a hard time reconciling that with, with, with any sort of logic. Like, wh- what do you think that, to you, what does that mean? So I think that if she's innocent, she initially starts off saying these things to have some sense of importance, Right. Like, you know, I'm somehow connected to this. So now it becomes my lived experience. And I think that if that's the case, here we are 20 some years later, she holds on to that because that's the lie that she has told repeatedly. Right. Just to have some sense of importance in it. If she's guilty, I don't have a clue why she does it. I mean, just pure stupidity. If she is really involved in it, then it's just stupid. Right. Because she could have just said, I have no clue. 
Wes, we haven't heard, heard from you yet, and I've already insulted you by calling you a silly millennial. I apologize. Uh, <laughs> That's all right. I wear it probably. I'm jealous of your youth. I lost him because I can't see him anymore. <laughs> Wes, what what are your thoughts on the on the case? It's a pretty broad question. Yeah, right. <laughs> Where do you start? I think the most likely scenario is that she did something like steal the wallet and it's something petty, but it turns out to be something huge after you've stolen the wallet of a dead woman. So I think we, we've decided she has, she did hop the patio fence, right? We know she's been in the, I don't know we, well, we don't, that. we don't know that. We know that according to the fingerprint examiner, that her fingerprints were found on the outside glass of the patio door. And we know that in every version of every statement that she gave, at some point, she jumped, the, you know, in her first statement, when she's completely innocent, she says she jumped in to go check on her, you know, and then the, the, the following statements, she still says she jumped in to go check with her, but, it, but the timing changes as far as when, you know, as, as Alan is telling her, nope, that's not possible because, which, I mean, we gotta be honest, he was lying to her when he said, no, we know that didn't happen because so-and-so said this, that so-and-so didn't actually say. But she changes the time of when it happened, but it still re- maintains that she jumped the fence. And then we have her ultimate co- ultimate confession where she says she jumped the fence to go in to commit the crime. So we have her saying she jumped the fence in every, in every statement, and we have her fingerprints on the outside of the patio glass door. So we can't say she absolutely did jump the fence, but that's the evidence, that, that's the evidence we're working with that she did. Okay. So my speculation, so we have fingerprints on the glass. So at some point, her hand was on the glass. And looking at the, um, the wood banister above the fence that we've, you know, we've all pointed out where it's got fresh damage. Mm-hmm. The only person I think that is going to come over the fence that way is something that's going to come up and over and get onto the stairs. Mm-hmm. Because if you're coming out of that apartment and going away, you're going towards the, I think it's the east with the four by four post yep. and then towards the alley. Right. The only person that's going to go west into a tiny space and a stairwell would be someone going upstairs. And so then, and I think it was her first statement. She had mentioned Eva that when they, she, uh, they had said that her and Eva were inside and that Eva had said, take the purse. So if we assume that she has been inside and then Eva's urging her to do something st- stupid, like steal a hundred dollars out of a purse. I just think it could be as something as little as that, that, you know, leads her down this entire rabbit hole of lies and then ultimately a false confession. You know, I, th- that whole thing about grabbing the purse, I want, I went back and I think I might've mentioned this in last week's follow-up, but I went back and reread that. In my first read, I read it exactly the way you just said, that Eva said, grab the purse. And then when I reread it, went back and reread it, what she says is we went inside, I saw this purse on the floor and Eva said, get the purse. And then I got the purse and put it on the chair. So my second read through didn't, and I don't know, but it didn't, it didn't seem like she was saying, get the purse, let's steal it. But that Eva was saying, get the purse out of the way and go put it somewhere. Because her follow-up statement to that, you know, the next sentence is that she grabbed it and, and put it away. But uh, to your point about the, the broken fence, my thought on the fence was, um, where that break is in the fence, that like you said, it's 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 on the top of one of the pickets, kind of in the direction of where the stairs are. That the damage on it is breaking inward, 
was not that that was a point of egress, but a point of ingress, that someone got on the steps and, and then stepped from the steps onto the fence to get into the patio, not to get out. That's the easiest way to do that. Otherwise, you're climbing over the bushes, then to get over the fence. So, I mean, if I was going to do it, yeah, I would have climbed up a few steps, got a little leverage on myself, you know, and right. went over that I have a question. So where the stairs looked like they were maybe four feet from the fence, I don't see how that's a long reach and a long jump. I think it was a lot easier to get in from the balcony down above. I don't know. And I think that I think she hopped the fence, but I think she hopped the fence at a different time, maybe the night before. Not and not at the time of the murder. You know, that that's a good thought. Yeah, I hadn't hadn't thought about that. As far as the balcony, we've discussed the balcony thing on the the podcast. It's, I think the steps, when I was there and stood there, I've got a picture of me somewhere standing in that spot. It's it's three feet. I could see how you could you know stand up and just get your legs so or your foot's touching the fence and then jump the rest of the way over. But as far as like to get into the fence, so from the from the side, especially like against the apartment where the wheat, you know, the bushes that kind of stop, there's a little space there where you can just get right up in there and just, for me especially, I'm six foot one. I could... I could get there and put my hand on that fence and just hop over it. The, you know, the difference coming down from the balcony above and several people have suggested that is there's a four foot railing on the balcony above too. So in order to get down to the a swimming pool, <laughs> I'm just saying in order to get like to say that that's easier is either from the ground floor, you jump over a four foot fence or from the upper floor, you still jump over a four foot fence and then shimmy down and then drop down into the into the balcony. I would think it would be easy to hang on a railing, get yourself on the outside, go down so that your hands are on the base and your feet are practically what four feet off the ground by that point on the balcony or yeah. on the patio below. I agree that for a young person, it was probably very yeah. Easy. You know, a 50 year old sitting here thinking about it, I'm thinking, yeah, that sounds kind of hard. But if I was keen, I could heartbeat. I have no doubt that 20 year old Bob could do that. Whether I would, cho- <laughs> whether I would choose that is, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, obviously you guys have all seen the crime scene photos, like for me, and maybe I'm nuts. I don't, what am I? But I'm looking at it like I'm looking at this open patio that only has a four foot fence. What's my best route in? Is to to scale down like like uh, like a James Bond movie from the from above. <laughs> that does it seems like the most difficult possible way to get into that balcony instead of just hopping the fence and going into it. If they weren't, if they didn't have any reason to be in the apartment above, it would seem ridiculous. But they were already in the apartment above, so when they're out on the balcony looking down, they're like, "Huh, I can just jump down there," and it wouldn't be no yeah, problem. Right. I think the same I, thing. I had friends that had apartments like this. And that balcony is a lot more daunting than you think. I was <laughs> younger and dumber, and I am for sure taking the steps. I think it is likely that there could be an altercation from balcony and down. I was wondering that because that's when they heard noises. That's always the first place we would go out. You go out your balcony and look out. You never go out the front door. Yeah. And then so if we're thinking through the steps, it would be balcony, front door, over the steps, over the fence, and into the patio. Mm-hmm. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. 
LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. You know, I'm, I'm wondering for, um, I guess I'll ask Cindy, because uh, you've said that you, you really think that she definitely was involved in some way. Do you do you have a theory on who you think? Do you think that Katie, Youngster, Eva are involved too, or you think there's two unknown subjects? Sure about Eva. I just don't know on her. I really think Katie and Youngster were involved. And I don't, I don't think they went down there with the intent to murder. I think they went down there with the intent to maybe steal and things got out of hand. Maybe they told Eva, I mean, not Eva, but Jennifer that they were going to do it. Or they just told her, hey, just call her out if somebody comes, you know kind of thing i don't know about eva i i think the other three for sure i'm not real sure about her only because she says that she had only met them the night before right katie and youngster yeah why they plot and plan this murder if she doesn't even know these two guys you know she knew them for a while or at least a month i think it's she said she didn't know them because i thought she said she'd only met them the night before i didn't catch that eva said that she knew them Oh, no, I'm sorry. I thought you were still talking about Jennifer. No, no. <laughs> no, no. But even though met them the night yeah. before, why would she plot and plan with a bunch of teenagers to rob and murder this woman downstairs when she doesn't even know them? I agree with, I agree with you there. I'm curious what, like, what, what evidence d- d- does it make you think? Like, like what, do you have anything that supports that theory, or is it, a, a, is it just kind of a gut feeling based on, on where we're at now? Yeah, kind of a gut feeling. Okay. Just based on everything that's happened prior to the fact that she has lied. And again, she was probably thought she was in love with one of them and she was going along. She was fitting in. She was part of, you know, this crowd that, that she was hanging around and, you know, it just all kind of happened. How old were, was Youngster at this time? 18, I believe. And Youngster and his brother are at Eva's apartment because Jennifer's there. Jennifer's known him for a month or so, mm-hmm. and he's there to see her. If we make the argument that Youngster and KD did this, like to rob, to rob her, they would be better off robbing Eva because she would have more cash than an out el- like an elderly person. That's true. She works in a cash business, and and like I'm like visualizing this now. We got like knucklehead teenagers they're gonna scale down the balcony <laughs> into Catalina's apartment and not know if they're gonna get anything like obviously they might get the car but i mean there's a whole lot of effort that goes into having to unload a car for cash but you're in a stripper's apartment who earns cash daily i would rob the stripper i mean but they might have thought that she was a cool chick and, you know, they liked hanging around her and they had just met her, but Jennifer liked her really well, obviously. So, you know, there was kind of a connection there. So why pick, why pick Catalina then? Cause she was convenient. She was old. What was she going to do? 
Bob, do we know? No, no. There's not much to gain, though. There's like nothing to gain. <laughs> um, go back to the wallet being found behind the refrigerator mm -hmm. on the thread. You know, everybody's just talking about what are the odds? What are the odds? What are the odds that it would be perfectly sitting in the coils? Blah blah. blah. It ha it could happen. I mean, they could have just chunked it over the refrigerator. I mean, I've thrown stuff up on top of things trying to get them out of view you know when i was a kid and if it slid back there and just happened to fall into the coils you probably couldn't have done it again but it might have done it once i think that in my opinion pamela solved that mystery on the fan page when she put up a picture of the apartment layout and where the fridge was because i was trying to see it in the crime scene video and, and they never show it but as soon as i saw how that fridge is laid out like to me in my opinion and it's just an opinion but the the mystery is gone from that there was a wide open access to the side of the fridge, which would be very easy. If somebody was trying to stash something just to reach from the side and just, they didn't have to necessarily like try to tuck it into the coils. Just the coils are about an inch away from the back of the fridge. If they just stuffed it behind the fridge, it would just land in the coils right there from the side. Right. Do we know if that was Catalina's like everyday wallet? It seemed like it. I've, I've actually, I've, I've held, I mean, with rubber gloves on, but held the wallet and it had her driver's license in it, her credit cards in it, um, had her sister's driver's license in it also. A keepsake. Yeah. <laughs> it was a keepsake, Bob. Yeah. I have my parents' driver's license in my wallet. Oh, do you? I just keep them with me. Yeah. Yeah. And that's also where she had the, uh, the, the picture of the nun that I mentioned in episode one that was in there. But it seemed like that was her. Yeah. That was her daily, her daily wallet. That's what she carried every day. I kind of want to circle back. Uh, Cindy, when, when we were talking about this whole idea and, and maybe kind of roundtable this part of it, but there's no scenario in, in, in my speculation and hypotheses that I have right now where KD and Youngster are involved in this and Eva's not. It, and I'll, and I'll, be, I'll be frank with you. I don't think KD and Youngster were involved, but that's just my, that's just my opinion. But I'm, curi I'm curious because you mentioned like the lies with Jennifer. Like, do you, like, do you, do you acknowledge or do you not that, that, Eva lied repeatedly over and over again, too. Yeah. I mean, in the scenario that Katie and Youngster are involved, I just wonder why she would get wrapped up with two guys that she doesn't even know to commit a crime. Like, Yeah, I, I agree with that 100%. I also think, like, if she's sleeping in the living room, like, do, do you have a thought of how this plays out with Katie and Youngster being part of it and her not knowing? No. I mean, maybe she's just... I don't know what kind of drugs are going on in there. Maybe she's out. She's, you know, sleeping off. Just because they're coming in the living room doesn't mean she knows exactly what they're up to at every moment. You know, she might have heard them walk through and then those back off or anything could happen. Well, she gave in her state. She said in her statement that it was youngster that woke her up to say he hears the screaming as he came out of the back bedroom and that Katie's sleeping right there. Well, I mean, had already snuck out and killed her and got back in the house and then we're trying to plant their alibi you know alibi saying hey do you hear that screaming like they said somebody had said earlier you know they are on one of your episodes they were overselling it you know trying to make sure that everybody knew that they heard her screaming right right which which is also the thing that jennifer alleges that eva told her to say but with, with them so that that's where in, in this scenario for katie and youngster to be involved and even not to be involved and I hadn't really thought about that, so I'm, I'm not like trying to call you out. I'm just trying to like spitball this with everybody here and like and talk, brainstorm this. That means Jennifer's gone. The one per the person they know is gone. They get up one way or another. Eva says she saw her leave without them. So they get up. 
go down and decide to rob this woman. And then when and now they've killed her. And then rather than getting the hell out of there, they go back into the apartment, sneak past the sleeping, sleeping Eva, and then come out and then wake her up and say that, you, you see what I'm saying? Like, that doesn't, like, in my opinion, there's no way Katie and Youngster can be involved and Eva not involved. There, I just, there, there's no way. Because then also that, that would mean so Eva's being truthful when she tells the story about how they, she heard the screaming and he came from the bedroom and woke her up and Katie was sleeping right there. You know, there, there's just, there's, there's no, so to me, if, if Katie and Youngster are involved, then Eva's involved too. It, it would seem to me, unless, unless you can think of a scenario where that's not the case. Well, I mean, I think that she would cover for them in order to cover for Jennifer to help her out. By she didn't cover for cover. Jennifer. She said Jennifer was a crackhead and yeah, <laughs> immediately, right. she immediately threw Jennifer under the bus. <laughs> I um, think it was all four or none. All four or none. I think, what was the escalating factor? If it was just robbery and they took the money, what led to 12 knife wounds? What was it? Right, 12. Like, it was a vicious attack at one point. Why would it not stop after three? If, like, what, what sent it into a, a real anger? You know what I mean? I, I have, to your point, Wes, I have, I have completely changed my, my opinion of, of what happened here. From from episode one, I felt like she's crime of opportunity. Somebody sees her outside. They go in. Now that we know that she, I think we know she was not outside. She was inside. They went inside, and her door was locked. They they pried her screen door open, which isn't super hard to do, and go in. And then and then going through the autopsy and the and the wounds and the injuries, and then what was actually taken out of there once it's all over with. I don't think it was a crime of opportunity. Personally, I think that she was targeted. So then that escalation for me, I'm going back to victimology. Well, what are what risk factors does she have? Is it that she has a has this nice car that's easy to break into? Well, like as I mentioned, the Honda Accord was a very popular car to steal, but it was popular to steal because you didn't need the damn key, is why it was popular to steal. So is, is that worth all this in the in, in daylight? And so then it comes back to to me, it comes back to conflict. The only conflict. And I'm not I'm not throwing fingers at, at Eva. I'm looking at the way I've been taught as an investigator to study victimology. There's one single risk factor that I can see, and it's the fact that she is starting sh- that she's complaining about Eva and the traffic in and out of Eva's house. And and Eva had said when Jennifer got there that she has complained multiple times before that she's been complained on before. And we know from Truesdale's testimony there was a complaint the day before. That happened. That's the only victimology I see, or the only risk factor. You know, I'm, I'm initially I thought she was involved, and I'm thinking, well, why would she conspire with two guys she doesn't even know? Unless when she met them through conversation throughout the night, or whenever they're sitting around talking, she's bitching about the neighbor downstairs complaining about her, and maybe they they will go down and rough her up, and you know, one thing led to another, and then they're all four involved. I was just kind of on the fence about Eva on whether or not she would conspire with people she didn't even know or didn't know if she could trust, you know? But I mean, it could be that they were all complaining about her that night talking about the nosy old neighbor downstairs. And one thing led to another. What about the guy that we've never talked about? And I don't think you've talked about on the 
podcast either. In the statement, at least one, if not two, said that there was another person in the apartment the night before. Oh, Katie and Youngsters? Yeah. Yeah, they... I I don't remember the name. They said they were in and out and they were doing things, but that is, we're going to be getting into that. That's part of the Katie and Youngster episode that we have coming up. And I, and, and I would, I would have no problem discussing with you now if I could speak intelligently about it, but I've read through it, but I haven't studied it yet. Cause I'm working on, on piecing all of Katie and Youngster in together. But yeah, if you read their statement, they had left, they were with somebody, somebody came back with them. They left again, but we'll be getting into all that. Would that be the time gap from when he was supposed to leave? Because Eva's daughter was coming home and then to staying the night. I think like in Jennifer's first statement, she had said uh, youngster woke her up because Eva told him he had to leave because her daughter was coming home. And so then there was just a weird time gap that goes from then to now Jennifer's waking up with them there sleeping. Yeah, I think in youngster's statement, he said that he had left and was with somebody else. And then they were hanging out with somebody else and then he came back to the apartment and Eva was like, you got to leave. And he's like, I'm waiting for a ride. And Jennifer was already in the back room sleeping. And then he came in and woke her up. Lynn, I want to circle back to you. You, you. you just said a few minutes ago that you think that it either had to be all four of them or none of them. And I want to, I want to make sure I give you an opportunity to kind of to, to break down that thought. Just because any other scenario of, intersection between the other characters with just a couple of them or a couple of them just doesn't seem likely. The boys didn't have a beef with Catalina. Eva did, but did Eva do that by herself? No. Right. Did she do it with boys she didn't know? Doesn't seem likely. It, to me, it just seems like it took, it would take all of them as a, as a group or none of them. Could you see a scenario where because I'm with you on that I'm with as a, and and with with Cindy too like I don't think for me, well for me I guess I disagree with Cindy on that I I don't think that KD and youngster could be involved without Eva but I also like Cindy had said I don't think Eva and you had said too Lynn I don't think Eva conspires with KD and youngster she doesn't know them she doesn't want to do that they don't have people so if KD and youngster couldn't be involved without Eva and Eva probably wouldn't enlist the help of these two guys she doesn't know. Personally, I just, I honestly don't believe Katie and Youngster were involved. Even though, as we'll learn later more about them, their, 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 their future behavior would certainly indicate that they could be. But I don't see it, the evidence of that here. So, so then we're left with, for me, Jennifer and, and Eva. As you said, Eva's the one with the beef. So how is Jennifer involved in this? And then I get come back to, and I mentioned earlier, that common sense thing, right? So if Jennifer and Eva were involved, and we, we said earlier, I don't remember which one of you said it, but it's like, you know, the, the response to what happened is, I don't know nothing. And Eva is, she's 24, she's been involved with the law, she knows things. So if Eva committed a crime with 15-year-old Jennifer, and that's nothing to say about what Jennifer is capable of or not. Eva knows this is a 15-year-old girl, or I think she thought she was 18, but she's a teenager who she just committed a crime with. And then the first thing she says to the police is, I think she did it. She told me to lie, and also she's a crackhead, and you know she's a crack addict. I don't see anybody, like, anybody that has any experience with the law at all or anybody with any kind of common sense. Don't point the police to your accomplice. Because the most likely thing that's going to happen next is your accomplice is going to point the finger right back at you. 
Or if your accomplice gets hooked up and ends up getting, getting prosecuted for the crime, they're bringing you with them. They're not, they're, they're not going to go down alone. I think that would be, I don't see, and this is just, again, this is kind of what I would do, I guess. It's just logically, why would Eva point the finger at Jennifer if she was connected to Jennifer? And so I'm just kind of walking you guys through like where my brain's at. So it's, I don't think Katie and Youngster were involved. I don't think Eva and Jennifer together were involved. Eva's the only one that has a motive. And, you know, some of the timelines of, admittedly, the timeline we went through in this past week's episode, there's, there's a lot of fudge factor there, especially like Lynn, some of the stuff you talked about that, you know, maybe the pronouncement was when they arrived and not when they got there, but it's still a really tight window. Makes it pretty difficult to Jennifer. And then, I, then going all the way back to where we started this thing, if Jennifer did it, code of the street, whatever. She's not going to tell on whoever did it. She was involved with someone else. I think forensics prove someone else was there, at least. Two, two other someones. And she decides she's not going to snitch on them. But then she confesses. And in her confession, she literally gets everything wrong. That's where I have a big problem. She has the murder weapon, both murder weapons wrong. Between the 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 plastic plant stand and the you know the metal one confusing those and the the size of the knife, uh, where things came, she's her confession doesn't just not demonstrate guilty knowledge of the crime. I there there are elements of her confession that are provably false that someone involved would know happened. Then I'm I'm not even trying to convince you guys. I'm just letting you know this is where I'm at. You know when I say I don't see evidence of Jennifer doing it. I literally don't. The only evidence against her at trial was 100% only her confession. And we have broken down her confession. And it's, why does she confess, not name the people who actually did it, and then get all the details of the crime wrong? Your thoughts? Well, I think she, I mean, she could be involved and still have no knowledge if she was staying outside on the patio and looking in. You know, she might not know a lot of the details that could explain, you know, the fingerprint that also kind of makes me think about like in her Crime Watch Daily interview, she now, you know, obviously memories, whatever, uh, change and stuff, but she said she never entered the apartment. So that could be true too. If she stayed outside on the patio watching through the glass door or whatever, she could be involved and not necessarily know all like all the details because she wasn't actually inside. Do you think that if that's the case, if that's how she was involved, she was a, a true lookout and was stayed outside, that she would then, in her confession, incriminate herself further, putting herself inside. She's the one that grabbed the purse. She's the one that got the key. She's the one that opened the drawer to get the knife. Like, I, like why, why would she do that if, if her actual role was outside? Well, like you said, if they're feeding her stuff and saying they don't believe her, you know, I I guess we could probably go back to like Justin S. Kelly or something, you know, like, why did he do and say the things that, you know, that he said that he did or didn't do? So are you saying, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but are, are you, are you saying that you think this could be a false confession, but she was still involved, that the elements of her confession are false, that were, were fed to her or coerced? But that doesn't, nece- that doesn't necessarily mean she wasn't involved. Yes. And that's kind of- I think it's a possibility. And I think what 
what we have to always go back to is the wallet, right? So the wallet's in the apartment upstairs. So somebody took it. And so somebody has to be involved. Right. What if, okay, go with me on this for a second. What if Kathleen was killed earlier than the nine o'clock time? Mm-hmm. Okay. What if Eva and someone not connected to the apartment did this? Okay. Cause Eva, Eva has the problem with Catalina. And I know that, that someone said that her complaint was made the day before the murder. What if that's not the only complaint, right? What if she's been complaining and Eva knows about it? So Eva's got the beef. She's talking to somebody outside of Jennifer and the guys that are at the apartment. They are going to rough her up or whatever. It gets out of hand. Eva goes up back up to the apartment, tells Jennifer, you're not going to believe what just happened. You know, like we went down there where they were going to beat her up, whatever. She died. Come on, let me show you. Jennifer's hands are on the glass. She looks in, sees her. And Eva threatens her with something. I don't know. Jennifer steals the wallet and it goes up to Eva's apartment. I mean, she knows what happened, but she's not really guilty of anything except for knowing after the fact. And she lies to protect Eva. And Eva could be saying, look, like you can tell them anything. You're just a kid. They're not going to do anything to you. Right. You know, I'm grown. I have a child. Duh. I don't know. Not dismissing your theory at all, but I, I think that I still come back to, I think that if Jennifer was involved, that Eva didn't know it, if that makes sense. I don't think that Eva would ever point the finger in the direction of someone that could connect her to it. So I, I, I'm saying, I, I guess so in that scenario, if they're both involved, I don't think Eva would ever point the finger at Jennifer. The the only way that, in, in my opinion, the only way an innocent Eva points a finger at Jennifer is if she truly is innocent and doesn't have any connection to the crime whatsoever. I guess why, though? It could be because if Eva points the finger at Jennifer, it could take the attention away from her. I think it puts it on her. She was staying in her apartment. You know what I mean? It keeps it. If they So I, I guess in this scenario, and of course, like you know, maybe she just didn't think it through, but if the police come talk to her, what happened? I don't know. I heard the screaming, and and I I started yelling. I ran to the apartment. I got the manager. She came back, and that was it. If that's all she said, there's no problem at all. They're not going to continue investigating her. They continued investigating her because she said she told me to lie. That's the only reason that they that they started investigating Jennifer. Is was Eva said that. When uh, the police arrived and all of that and they found her, is there anything in any report that says that it seemed like she had been dead for longer than just a few minutes? Because according to them, all this just happened and she should have still been warm and gushing blood. No, there's nothing that says differently. The only inference I make from the documentation we have is that, and I think Lynn could speak to this, that that Doris Gibson was a trained working nurse. And the report says that through the different witness statements that she started doing CPR on her. And I think that if she had been, if there were signs, you know, if she'd been dead for a couple hours, I don't know that she would have, that she would have started doing that. She might've, she might've to placate all of the people around. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's true. So you, 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 
You never know. But I definitely think she, I feel like she would have noted somewhere in her written statement later that you guys have been through a lot of the documents. Have I posted Doris Gibson's statement? No, you haven't posted that. I've been through all the documents. I'll post it. That gives me something, that gives me something to post this week. I'll make sure I post Doris Gibson's statement. Contact her to get her story on this. Doris Gibson, contact her and ask her, you remember when, what did you think? Do you have any recollection of? Right. That's a lot of what I keep. That's a lot of the reason why we're doing this episode like this right now <laughs> from just contacting right. people and asking them what happened. <laughs> What'd you have, Wes? I have, it might be a silly question, but on an autopsy, it, um, under evidence of medical intervention, would that, would they have noted CPR on the autopsy under that category? Like a fracture to the sternum because of the medical intervention or am I? I think they may have. Like to me, like I read, when I read the autopsy, I'd say no. So would that imply like a dead on arrival then? Like they immediately arrived and there's there's no need for CPR, nothing. They're calling to get the official time. That's it. When I read the autopsy, not the first read through, but when I when I when I didn't have COVID brain anymore and I read through it again, she they were describing to me, she did describe evidence of CPR in describing the um the fracture to the sternum by the by the um xiphoid process, like that's Th- those are those are indications of of CPR. They a lot of times you break. I've never. I think I said this on the fan page the other day. They used, they used to call me at the fire department. Sadly, they called me the Grim Reaper because I have done CPR on probably a hundred people, and one in on all one hundred of them, I broke their ribs, and all one hundred of them are, were still dead after I left. I never got to save the entire time I was working. So boohoo for me. <laughs> um, but the difference between but you doing maybe CPR, it, Bob, and me doing CPR because. I've heard broken ribs, but I've never caused them. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm not strong enough. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, not, I'm too big. I, I mean, it's strange. Especially, I shouldn't say every time, but for sure, anybody elderly. Uh, you know, if I'm with somebody that's a full arrest, and you know, we get down, the, the, it's every time the first pump. It's a, it's great. It sounds like cracking your knuckles. It's like, <clears throat> as you just feel it give. Oh, it's better than that, but um, <laughs> but it sounds, but but it occurs. They have osteoporosis. All the rib fractures were broken around the edges of the sternum. It was all, those were CPR. So she had strong CPR, whether that was from the uh, fire department when they arrived or the nurse that arrived too. But but I thought I could give us an idea on the timeline of if she was killed recently or dead on arrival. Because if she's working her way down the EM report and they put no CPR performed because they arrived dead on arrival then later on she's still going to describe cpr like injuries because she did receive cpr from the nurse but not by the ems so that could tell us was she killed recently or was this a like we kind of talked of an oversell and so she had been killed early yeah the, the nurse is definitely somebody that's on that that's on my list to reach out to to try to hopefully get some more insight the most frustrating part about this is all the questions, the answers to these questions would be in the EMS report that was generated that did exist, that's nowhere in the file. And now you can't get it because there's no, you can't FOIA medical records. There's HIPAA laws and stuff. They will not, you can't get medical records and they likely don't have them at this point. The only way you can have them is if they become part of the police file, then it's a permanent record that you can get. They didn't send it with their with their documentation. I don't know if they never had it. The ME didn't have it with her documentation. I don't know if she ever had it. 
Uh, well, actually, I do know she had it at some point, but it's just it, it, the big thing that I think that, that we need to consider all the time is there's a reason all this stuff is missing. There's a reason. And that doesn't mean that Jennifer's innocent. It means to me that the state had a theory of the case that I'll say that Detective Wayman Allen had thought he had this case figured out on day one. And he, you know, and, and to your point, Pam, that maybe she could still be involved, but the confessions to be coerced. I don't know. Maybe some people disagree. I think a lot of people agree that there's clear indication that there was coercion and there was information fed to Jennifer by the detectives in her confession. Yeah. Whether she's innocent or guilty or not, that, that, that there was, that there was information. That, so I think Detective Allen thought he had it figured out. And then he built himself this nice little case. And then as the forensics and evidence come, start coming back in, I think that he realized that, you know, he was wrong. And just the, the, every element that could answer these questions is, is conveniently missing from the case file. And with that, we are, we're, we're over an hour now. Mike's already going to be mad at me. Um, but this is super fun. And, and, and <laughs> Hi, Mike. Listeners, uh, if, let us know if you guys like this format because I'm enjoying this a lot. I think this would be cool, you know, throughout the season to put these, you know, occasionally put these roundtables together because I think it's been it's been good for me to hear all of your your input. Hopefully, the same is true of the listeners. Uh, real quick, in like a minute or less, I'm going to give you all a quick concluding thought. So, the it, last statement you want to make, uh, Wes, your concluder. Oh man, um, guilty or innocent, she's still shouldn't be in prison good one all right and uh pamela i feel like the more we look the more potentially she could be involved it, it, it's kind of some of the all the pieces kind of make sense when you you know as her as the common denominator i guess but yeah i'm still like i said i'm still flip-flopping so. awesome and cindy i agree i still think that she is probably involved why they didn't go after anybody else and only went after her, I don't know. But I think she did have some knowledge. She's there's something there. It she's just she just doesn't come off as innocent to me. All right. And Kay. If you tell yourself the same lie over and over again, it becomes your truth. Oh, I want to know more about what that means. <laughs> you get an extra minute. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> You're referring to Jennifer, I think I take it. Definitely. I don't know if she's guilty or innocent, but I think I think she's lied. And I think all these years later, she probably believes her lie. So I think it could be even if we hear from her, I don't know that we would be hearing the absolute truth. I, I, I agree with that very much so. And it's a it's a weird thing, but I very much agree with that. False memories are real. I mean, I've had them myself, you know, from like childhood or whatever, where I've had people say, no, that never happened. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, I'm sure it did. I think it's also it's like, time, you, know? you also have to remember, it's it's not like a malicious thing. Right. Like she's not, or anyone, even like your false memory, Pamela, like you're not telling yourself that to like make it a lie, you know, like with any malicious intent. It's just what you remember. And it's what you've told yourself or, or visualized for so long that it does become your truth and it, there may not be any you know malice involved whatsoever well especially if it was a horrible event and you kind of want to forget that event right 
And and there's a there's a whole other factor that plays into this too. That's a whole other whole other episode or study. Someone that's not more of an or that someone that's more of an expert than me is the concept of just getting locked into something. It happened to Ed Eights with his story about you know taking his grandma grandma's car where you know he told it and got locked into it and then it was like later on it was just like why didn't you just and he was like I don't know I was I already said it and then I felt like if I said something different then. They were going to think I was lying even more, so I stuck, to, you know, so that happens too. But uh, great concluder, Kay. Uh, it scored you an extra 45 seconds. And Lynn, your concluder. <laughs> I think that the, whether intentional or not, the lack of preserved forensic evidence is going to make it impossible for Jen to ever get out of prison. I hope you're wrong about that because there is still... The evidence is still preserved. There were fingernail scrapings taken. Well, I had a question on that. Did you ask it in the follow-up thread? I think I saw it in the follow-up thread. Yes, I did. So you'll hear the answer to that in two day, in three days. And you listeners, Lynn heard her answer two days ago, because this is airing on Sunday. <laughs> Can I just say one more thing? Um, two concluders for Pamela. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> No, I was because we were talking about the evidence, right? So, and she mentions that she got, um, I'm sure you're going to cover it, but I mentioned the letter she got when she was in jail from the crime lab and that it, they were saying something about how the DNA evidence in her case wasn't the evidence for her case or something like that. Yeah, I don't know what that's about, to be honest with you. Um, I'm hoping soon we'll be able to have at least uh, Justin, Jennifer's attorney, come on. He's diligently working on the case. And, and, and he does some podcast interviews. I think he was just, he was just recently on Jason Flom's wrongful conviction podcast. So, uh, I think, I think he'll come on at some point once he has, once he has a better grip pretty soon. And he might be able to answer some of that because, you know, as you, anybody that's listened to me for a long time, you know, I focus big on those original, those original source documents. I always feel like that's where the answer is at. I don't have a lot of the appellate documents or whatever that letter is that the Jennifer mentioned in the crime watch daily episode, but that's all stuff that we will be getting to soon. and. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you all so very much for joining me. This has been fun. It's been enlightening. Listeners, I hope you guys liked it. Let us know if you want to have more, uh, you know, occasionally do these little roundtable episodes. I very much enjoyed it. And with that being said, you guys all have a great week. And you listeners, have a great week. And then we'll talk to you more about all the stuff we discussed in this week's Friday follow-up. Bye. Bye. Arriva Dirty. <laughs>
To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we also have reward levels on Patreon that include access to behind-the-scenes videos of the tapings of our Friday follow-up episodes, ad-free versions of all of our episodes, Truth and Justice Army t-shirts and hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. If you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, Truth and Justice Pod. Just click the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is engage in the investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. For all of you tweeters, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. To follow our personal accounts on social media, I can be found at Bob Ruff Truth. Mike can be found at Murb Gaming, M-U-R-R-B-G-A-M-I-N-G, and Zach is at Z to the Q. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, and tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. I'm Zach Weaver. And I'm Mike Bussing. And this has been Truth and Justice. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Spread the word. The JCPenney Friends and Family Sale is back. And this week, we're passing the savings on to you. Use your extra 30% off coupon to prep your home and style your family for Easter. That's extra savings on top of our great low prices. Plus, share your coupon with everyone you know and love. It's always better when we save together. JCPenney. Make everybody count. Offer valid 311 through 317. Exclusion supply. See store or jcp.com for details. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are. Leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.